Chapter Twenty Four of The Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Fourteen, in which shall be found mention of a certain black bag. Baxter, sir, get me a pen and ink. Yes, sir. Now any ordinary mortal might have manifested just a little surprise to behold his master walk suddenly in, dusty and dishevelled of person, his habitual languor entirely laid aside, and to thus demand pen and ink forthwith. But then Baxter, though mortal, was the very cream of a gentleman's gentleman, and the acme of valets, as has been said, and comported himself accordingly. "'Baxter! Sir!' oblige me by getting this cashed. Yes, sir. Bring half of it in gold. Sir, said Baxter, glancing down at the slip of paper, did you say half, sir? Yes, Baxter. I'd take it all in gold, only that it would be rather awkward to drag around. So bring half in gold, and the rest in five-pound notes. Very good, sir. And, uh, Baxter? Sir, take a cab. "'Suddenly, sir!' And Baxter went out, closing the door behind him. Meanwhile Bellew busied himself in removing all traces of his journey, and was already bathed and shaved and dressed by the time Baxter returned. Now, gripped in his right hand, Baxter carried a black leather bag which jingled as he set it down upon the table. "'Got it?' inquired Bellew. "'I have, sir.' "'Good!' nodded Bellew. Now, just run around to the garage and fetch the new racing car, the Mercedes. Now, sir? Now, Baxter. Once more Baxter departed, and while he was gone, Bellew began to pack. That is to say, he bundled coats and trousers, shirts and boots into a portmanteau in a way that would have wrung Baxter's heart, could he have seen. Which done, Bellew opened the black bag, glanced inside, shut it again, and, lighting his pipe, stretched himself out upon an ottoman, and immediately became plunged in thought. So lost was he, indeed, that Baxter, upon his return, was necessitated to emit three distinct coughs, the most perfectly proper and gentlemanlike coughs in the world, ere Bellew was aware of his presence. "'Oh, that's you, Baxter?' said he, sitting up back so soon. "'The car is at the door, sir.' Uh, "'The car? Uh, yes, to be sure. Baxter?' "'Sir, what should you say if I told you?' Bellew paused to strike a match, broke it, tried another, broke that, and finally put his pipe back into his pocket, very conscious the while of Baxter's steady, though perfectly respectful, regard. "'Baxter,' said he again, "'Sir?' said Baxter. What should you say if I told you that I was in love, at last, Baxter, head over ears, hopelessly, irretrievably? Say, sir? Why, I should say, indeed, sir. What should you say, pursued Bellow, staring thoughtfully down at the rug under his feet, if I told you that I am so very much in love that I am positively afraid to tell her so? I should say, very remarkable, sir. Bellew took out his pipe again, looked at it very much as if he had never seen such a thing before, and laid it down upon the mantelpiece. Baxter, said he, kindly understand that I am speaking to you as, uh, 
man to man, as my father's old and trusted servant, and my early boyhood's only friend. Sit down, John. Thank you, Master George, sir. I wish to confess to you, John, that her regarding the er, haunting spectre of the might have been, you were entirely in the right. At that time I knew no more the meaning of the er, the word, John. Meaning the word love, Master George? Precisely. I knew no more about it than that table. But during these latter days I have begun to understand, and uh, the fact of the matter is I'm, I'm fairly up against it, John. Here Baxter, who had been watching him with his quick, sharp eyes, nodded his head solemnly. Master George, said he, speaking as your father's old servant, and your boyhood's friend, I'm afraid you are. Bellow took a turn up and down the room, and then, pausing in front of Baxter, who had risen also as a matter of course, he suddenly laid his two hands upon his valet's shoulders. "'Baxter,' said he, "'you'll remember that after my mother died, my father was always too busy piling up his millions to give much time or thought to me, and I should have been a very lonely small boy if it hadn't been for you, John Baxter. I was often up against it in those days, John.' and you were always ready to help and advise me. But now, well, from the look of things, I'm rather afraid that I must stay up against it, that the game is lost already, John. But whichever way fate decides, win or lose, I'm glad, yes, very glad to have learned the true meaning of the word, John. Master George, sir, there was a poet once, Tennyson, I think, who said, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I know that he was right. Many years ago, before you were born, Master George, I loved, and lost, and that is how I know. But I hope that fortune will be kinder to you, indeed I do. Thank you, John, though I don't see why she should be. And Bellew stood staring down at the rug again, till aroused by Baxter's cough. "'Pray, sir, what are your orders? The car is waiting downstairs.' "'Orders? Why, er, um, pack your grip, Baxter. I shall take you with me, this time, into Arcadia, Baxter.' "'For how long, sir?' "'Probably a week.' "'Very good, sir.' "'It is now half-past three. I must be back in Dapplemere at eight. "'Take your time. I'll go down to look at the machine. "'Just lock the place up, and uh, don't forget the black bag.' Some ten minutes later the great racing-car set out on its journey, with Bellow at the wheel, and Baxter beside him, with the black bag held firmly upon his knee. Their process was, necessarily, slow at first, on account of the crowded thoroughfares. But every now and then the long, low car would shoot forward through some gap in the traffic, grazing the hubs of bus-wheels, dodging hansoms, shaving sudden corners in an apparently reckless manner. But Baxter, with his hand always upon the black leather bag, sat calm and unruffled, since he knew by long experience that Bellew's eye was quick and true, and his hand firm and sure upon the wheel. Over Westminster Bridge, and along the old Kent Road they sped, now fast, now slow, threading a tortuous and difficult way amid the myriad vehicles, and so betimes 
they reached Blackheath. And now the powerful machine hummed over that ancient road that had aforetime shaken to the tread of stalwart Roman legionnaires, up Shooter's Hill and down, and so into the open country. And ever as they went they talked, and not as master and servant, but as between man and man. Wherefore Baxter the valet became merged and lost in Baxter the human, the honest John of the old days, a grey-haired, kindly-eyed, middle-aged cosmopolitan who listened to and looked at young Alcides beside him as if he had indeed been the Master George of years ago. So you see, John, if all things do go well with me, we should probably take a trip to the Mediterranean. In the uh, Sylvia, of course, Master George? Yes, uh, though, er, uh, I've decided to change the name, John. Ah, very natural under the circumstances, Master George, said Honest John, his eyes twinkling slyly as he spoke. Now, if I might suggest a new name, it would be hard to find a more original one than the haunting spectre of the— Bosh, John! There never was such a thing. You were quite right, as I said before, and— By heaven! Potato sacks! "'Eh? What? Potato sacks? Master George?' They had been climbing a long, winding ascent, but now, having reached the top of the hill, they overtook a great, lumbering market-cart, or wain, piled high with sacks of potatoes, and driven by an extremely surly-faced man in a smock-frock. "'Hallo there!' cried Bellew, slowing up. "'How much for one of your potato sacks?' "'Get out now!' growled the surly-faced man, in a tone as surly as his look. "'Can't you see that they're all occupied?' "'Well, empty one. Get out now!' repeated the man, scowling blacker than ever. "'I'll give you a sovereign for one.' "'Now don't you try to come none of your jokes with me, young feller,' growled the carter. "'Sovereign! Bah! Show us!' "'Here it is,' said Bellew, holding up the coin in question. "'Catch!' and with the word he tossed it up to the carter, who caught it very dexterously, looked at it, bit it, rubbed it on his sleeve, rang it upon the footboard of his wagon, bit it again, and finally pocketed it. "'It's a go, sir,' he nodded, his scowl vanishing as if by magic, and as he spoke he turned, seized the nearest sack, and forthwith set a cascade of potatoes rolling and bounding all over the road. Which done, he folded up the sack, and handed it down to Bellew, who thrust it under the seat, nodded, and, throwing in the clutch, set off down the road. But long after the car had hummed itself out of sight, and the dust of its going had subsided, the carter sat staring after it, open-mouthed. If Baxter wondered at this purchase, he said nothing. Only he bent his gaze thoughtfully upon the black leather bag that he held upon his knee. On they sped between fragrant hedges, under whispering trees, past lonely cottages and farmhouses, past gate and field and wood, until the sun grew low. At last Bellew stopped the automobile at a place where a narrow lane or cart-track branched off from the high road and wound away between great trees. "'I leave you here,' said he, as he sprang from the car. "'This is Dapplemere. The farmhouse lies over the upland yonder, though you can't see it because of the trees.' "'Is it far, Master George?' "'About half a mile.' Here is the bag, sir, but do you think it is quite safe? Safe, John? 
"'Under the circumstances, Master George, I think it would be advisable to—' "'to take this with you.' And he held out a small revolver. Bellew laughed and shook his head. "'Such things aren't necessary here in Arcadia, John. Besides, I have my stick. So good-bye for the present. You'll stay at the King's Head, remember.' "'Good-night, Master George, sir. Good-night, and good fortune go with you.' "'Thank you,' said Bellew, and reached out his hand. "'I think we'll shake on that, John.' So they clasped hands, and Bellew turned and set off along the grassy lane. And presently, as he went, he heard the hum of the car grow rapidly fainter and fainter, until it was lost in the quiet of the evening. End of chapter 24